It's Tuesday, October 13th, 2020. I'm Tanya Harris, and welcome to TMI Daily, your daily roundup of everything people are talking about online since they aren't allowed to talk about it in person. In her Senate confirmation hearing today, Supreme Court nominee Amy Coney Barrett said that if she is confirmed, America will not be getting former conservative Justice Antonin Scalia, they will be getting her. With Barrett, we're also not getting Ruth Bader Ginsburg, which is where the real problem lies. Last night during his Florida super spreader event, Donald Trump said he felt so good after allegedly beating COVID that he could kiss every man and woman at the rally. Considering the numerous sexual assault cases pending against him, if he does kiss you, he probably won't ask for permission first. Oh, and you should probably get tested for COVID and herpes. Trump directed the Agriculture Department to include letters signed by him and millions of food aid boxes being sent out to those in need. It's surprisingly thoughtful of him to include not just food, but also something to wipe your butt with. Johnson & Johnson's coronavirus vaccine trial has been halted due to an unexpected illness of a participant. No word yet on which Johnson the president will call a loser for trying to hurt his campaign with this. White House Chief of Staff Mark Meadows refused to answer a reporter's question while the reporter was wearing a mask. Wow, who knew that along with coronavirus, masks also filter out bullshit? AMC Theaters announced this morning that they are on track to run out of money by 2021. Welcome to my world, AMC. I told my family the same thing six months ago. Deadline is reporting that Paramount sold the Coming to America sequel to Amazon. Sure, the movie is still coming to America, just not coming to America's movie theaters. In related news, Disney is reorganizing its structure to emphasize streaming in the future. For many Disney employees, Disney Plus means Disney will minus their jobs. Director George Miller announced that he is in pre-production for a new prequel to his post-apocalyptic hit series, Mad Max. With the way things are going right now, this might be a documentary. Twitter released a custom Bruce Springsteen emoji to promote his upcoming new album. Just think, in the 80s, Bruce's fans were dancing in the dark. Now, most of them are pretty much in the dark about how to use their smartphones. Sorry kids, time to explain emojis to mom. Now, let's send it over to tonight's TMI Daily cast and crew roundtable. Stay safe. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of TMI Daily. I'm Veronica Aiello, and as always, I have some of my TMI Hollywood family joining me. Let's go around and say hello to everyone watching at home or listening to us on Apple Podcasts or their streaming service of their choice. Let's start with you, Pete. It's Tuesday, which means that there's only four more days of this. Joe? Hi, everyone listening to us on uh, Google Podcasts. It's a national no bra day today, so I am not wearing a bra. Woo! Uh, You're telling me this now, Joe? (laughs) Elizabeth? Hi. It's uh, every day is national no bra day over here, especially (laughs) in the pandemic. I had no idea because I kept thinking to myself uh, earlier this week, I was like, it's absolutely wild that I show up to work with no bra on, like, for months now. <laughs> uh, Emma? Hey y'all, how you doing? Happy National No Bra Quarantine. Yeah. <laughs> Do you work? Hey, how's it going? I am wearing a bra actually. 
<laughs> Stuart, it's no bra day. Come on. I, I didn't know. And Ian. Uh, I just want to give a shout out to our OnlyFans subscribers. What's up? <laughs> <laughs> so, so later on in the show, we're also going to be joined by McCall Taylor. She hosts a podcast called Quit Your Damn Job. So make sure you stay, stay tuned for that. Well, I mean, it's it's quarantine. So, I mean, it's 2020. I, we all kind of... How to quit way. our damn job. Way <laughs> <laughs> ahead of you. <laughs> Okay, so let's start tonight with just one question, where we take some of the top stories, and I ask you one question. Yesterday, the Disney Corporation announced that they are shifting their focus towards their streaming platform and making Disney Plus their primary channel for future releases. This comes after Regal Theater's announcement last week to close all their theaters through the end of the year, and AMC announcing today that they will run out of cash by the end of the year. My question is, are movie theaters in serious trouble or, will, or, or do you think things will go back to normal when COVID is over, whenever that may be? Let's start with you, Elizabeth. I think they're in serious, serious trouble um, because it, the, yeah, they, they've been out so long, they're all losing money. They're all on the brink of closure now. Um, which sucks because I really like movie theaters and I like watching movies at home, don't get me wrong, but I do enjoy the experience of going out. I think uh, they're in danger and it will become now a very, instead of this like mass audience, mass appeal thing, I think the way they will revamp it will be like uh, a really premium experience. So it's going to be very expensive going forward. Mm -hmm. So now it'll be less like, oh, we're going to the movies this weekend. It'll be like, we're going to the movies in a couple months because something's coming out that we're going to see want to see okay emma so movie theaters have kind of been in trouble for a long time before covid as well uh they've already been moving to that premium experience elizabeth was mentioning yeah. that's why they've all been renovating and getting the massive leather chairs with the recliner and like they're much more theoretically serious about you not having your phone how much that actually works is depends on the movie chain but i uh, that's like what they've been moving towards already anyway uh, but it makes me think of live theater, which people have been saying is dead for centuries, and it never quite is. Uh, listen, I don't think it's going to be the same after COVID. I don't think there will be as many theaters. And I think, like Elizabeth said, it won't be something you do every weekend. It'll be more of a rare thing. But I think that everyone loves the movie theater experience. Mm -hmm. And uh, you're never going to get rid of the thrill of seeing, like, an Avengers film on an IMAX screen. Uh, so listen, they're not going to go away entirely, but like, yeah, I think it's pretty probable that a lot more of them are going to move more towards primarily streaming. Okay. I'm um, Stuart. Um, I think movie theater chains are dead. I think that there isn't enough, going to be enough business to support uh, massive chains that aren't in. Um, I think there's going to be like independent theater, uh, movie theaters in big cities mm -hmm. and they're going to be more uh, specialized and like, really tater towards cinephiles rather than just big blockbuster type, you know, Avengers, Marvel, those type of movies. Um, I, I really don't think, first of all, I think the technology for watching in home has gotten a lot better and a lot cheaper overall. Mm -hmm. So why go to the movie theater? Also, you know, in terms of when everybody's going to be vaccinated and theaters can be able to operate at full capacity could be another year. And they don't have that kind of cash to, to wait it out for a year. And nobody's going to put cash in movie theaters when clearly, like Emma said before the pandemic, they were headed down a bad road. 
um, it's just exacerbated and sped up the, the decline. Okay, I'm gonna go to Joe and then to you, Pete. Go ahead, Joe. Um, yeah, I think, I, you know, like Emma said, everyone loves the movie. I adore going to the movie theaters, but yeah, I think your chain movie theater is going to be, is, is going to be gone within 10 years. But what you will see because it's now expired is you're gonna see uh, major uh, movie companies buying up theaters. They'll probably only buy them in like big cities but then you'll have like the Paramount Experience Theater. Of course, Disney will have a theater, you know, like we, I mean, they do now in LA, you can go to the El Capitan and see, but the whole thing will be immersed into that, you know? And the mm. other thing is with Disney going to streaming um, and, and then um, Warner Brothers, you know, they, they're with HBO Max. Those guys are, are kind of, I mean, they, they were pivoting towards this anyway. So, I mean, that's something we're going to see. I think, I think what, is is in trouble who's in trouble who is the movie companies that haven't been doing this like mm -hmm. uh, paramount and these other companies that are kind of stuck on the outside now they're either going to have to develop a whole new streaming system or hook up with somebody say netflix or whatnot or, or go through there you know um i mean sony owns crackle but crackle has been dead for a while but i mean the whole thing is that that's how that's the future that you're going to see is where you're streaming in and then if you're going to go to a theater, you're going to go like, oh, the big Paramount movie, you know, like uh, the, the Fast Fast and Furious 10 is going to be at the Paramount Theater, but the whole thing will be an immersive thing. You're going to pay more money, but, you know, it's it's going to be like an experience. That's how I think you're going to see the future. Mm -hmm. Pete? I, I mean, I don't know if anybody else is getting this, but to me, it feels a lot like um, the last days of CDs. Um, and, not, and, you know, they're still out there. People well, I, still go out and buy CDs. But I think number one, the uh, just like like the, the music industry, which overcharged for for their music for so long that it got to a point where there had to be other ways to, to, to get the music. And initially it was it was through illegal ways like Napster and some of the other MP3 companies. But eventually it led into what, what we got with iTunes and then with all the other streaming services, Spotify and everything else that are out there. But it's, it's a lot like that with, with movie theaters because the pricing is so exorbitant in, in so many different ways. And now you have this opportunity where you could pay a subscription fee. You know, you know if, if I'm Disney, my first thought is, is that, you know what, they're, they're close to 100 million subscribers in less than a year. Uh, which is amazing. And even if they're charging $7 a month, you're talking about over $8 billion a year. I, I mean, to, in order to, to, to make $8 billion in a box office, it, it takes a lot of effort, probably more than any one studio is going to do. So yeah, why not go this route? Because it's, it's, it's number one, people are less interested in going to theaters. Number two, it's, it's an experience that now because of the equipment, like Stuart was saying, um, is better at home now. Like you can buy much better equipment to, to make the, 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 the look, the feel, the sound um, all more like a movie theater. And three, this pandemic has really kind of made people aware of just how unhealthy going to a theater was. Now, will people stop going to theaters completely? No, I mean, still, like I said, people still buy CDs. So yeah, I, I mean, it's definitely, I think it's it's a comeuppance for for like the studios and for the theaters uh, to start realizing that there is another way to do this. Maybe we need Apple to be behind it. So when you say P, you know, like CDs, do you think it's because of, of like the nostalgia factor that people just want to go back? You know, they'll go back because of that, or 
Why do you well, say that? Well, I mean, I think that people will always go to movie theaters. Yeah. I, mean, I, I don't think the movie theaters are ever going to go out of business, but maybe the days of, see, I, I think the opposite of what, what everybody else is saying. I think the days of the mom and pop theaters, the independent theaters are probably going to end mm. because there's just not going to be the sustainability. Whereas maybe you'll, you'll, you'll kind of like lump all of these companies, you know, whether it be, whether it be AMC or Regal Cinemark all into one big conglomerate and they'll just own the theaters. Like they'll have, they'll have one major th set of theaters in, in all these big cities and maybe right. one within distance of, of, um, of smaller cities um, because that might just be the only way to do it. And if you, if you don't have competition, you can keep your prices um, in a good place where the, where the, the studios are still going to have to deal with you. Cause right now, from my understanding, if they want to, if they want to get a bigger piece of the ticket price, they just go to Regal and say, Hey Regal, you know, I'm getting $6 on every ticket from AMC. What are you going to do for me? Oh, I'll give you six fifty on every ticket. And so that's how they, you know, they, they've been getting around that. If, if you only have Regal or AMC or one giant company, I think that's, that's going to be your, you know, a lot harder for studios to do. And I think also when you look at like the movie pass services that came out over the last couple of years, people don't want to pay that much for movies. And unless we just go to a point where every movie is going to be another Avengers movie, I, why would, why would a studio spend $25 million to make back $30 million when they could spend $150 million to make back 500 million. So maybe the blockbusters will stay in the theaters and maybe we'll start getting more and more of the independent films, the smaller films on all the services you know, and if one seems to be a little bit of a breakout, then maybe they'll push that out to the theaters too. Who knows? Okay, Elizabeth. Yeah, because um, I think Jim mentioned it, but yeah, there's these paramount decrees that were repealed recently, where it, it was prevent it was an antitrust law from 1948 that prevented studios from buying major chains. And now, without that, and all these low low prices, I'm sure for AMC or Regal or what have you, they can swoop in buy it and have their premium theater experience. Now, my other joke answer to that is I want them to bring back, um, if anyone's familiar with the old movie, um, House on Haunted Hill with Vincent Price, uh, the producer of that, William Castle, did things in theaters for lots of his horror movies, like having a skeleton fly over the audience during the screenings, like when there's a, the skeleton on screen. And I think that kind of crap we should 100% bring back. Make it truly 4D, make it wild as hell, make it make that ticket worth it. Mm -hmm. um, but I do worry about, you know, also just like mom and pop theaters and this lack of access. It's weird because I, I think the streaming does democratize access to all these different films, especially indie films and smaller films like that. But in some ways, uh, I still, I, I just worry about one big company owning lots of things and having control of lots of things. It's not always the best. Okay, Emma? Uh, yeah, I'm more with Peter on this one. Uh, I think that studios are going to have, like, you might have some major studios who own some movie theaters, but that's going to be more across, like, cities. There's still so many people in middle America who live in small towns who are not driving multiple hours to go watch a movie. Uh, and that's where an AMC-like chain could uh, really clean up after COVID is over. Uh, small, cha small chains and mom and pop theaters are gone. Uh, Lamley is done. Bowtie Cinemas is done. Like, like, there's just no way for them to survive. And I disagree with your assessment. I don't think that 
indie houses are going to survive because you can watch indie films on a small mm -hmm. screen and still get the same experience. You cannot get the same experience with a DC film, for instance, or a Marvel film. Close, uh, close you can now. The, the equipment is there. I mean, it's just how much do you want to spend? You, you can get some of it, but like you're not going to get like an eight story IMAX screen in your home. Sure. Uh, yeah, like, so I think that you're going to get like what Elizabeth was saying, a more immersive experience. Uh, I had the same thing. Uh, if anyone ever went to DC's museum before it closed, they had a similar like 4D experience mm -hmm. uh, where it was like interactive and they'd like spray a little bit of water on you. Um, and it's gonna become much more like gimmicky like that, but it's gonna be its mm -hmm. own experience. It won't be like the plain, like you just go and you pay like $20 to watch a movie on a bigger screen, but not necessarily a great screen. You know? fly, fly Iron Man right over my head during the movie. Do it. I'm here for it. <laughs> Let me hear from Ian and Cam, and then I'll go back to some of you guys. Um, go ahead, Ian. Uh, so, I mean, just to touch on Peter's talk about comparing it to the music industry, I mean, you see the parallels of people wanting more and more convenience over the years. They want an easier way to, to ingest these different media, you know, going from records to CDs to streaming, and then we're seeing it with movies, going from you know, going to the theater to DVDs, VHS tapes to streaming to on demand. And what's going to happen is you have all these people that, you know, that's fine. That's good enough for them. But you're always going to have a, a niche group of people who aren't happy with the quality that they're going to get because there's artifacting and stuff still with streaming and on demand. It never looks as good as it does in the theater or on a video like a DVD or something. So you're still going to have these groups of people that want that experience. And I think it's going to die out and there will be a small resurgence. And... It'll get better, it'll come back, but it'll never be the same as it was, but I don't think it's ever gonna die out. It'll just, it'll morph and change. It'll become more of a specialist thing for people. It'll be like vinyl. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, it'll fine. be that, that yeah. jerk off who lives down the street from you who hasn't showered in a week who only buys things on vinyl. It I can't wait to be that person. I wanna, I wanna be stinky in the theater with skeletons flying over me while I watch a movie. Go ahead, Cam. Uh, it, as always, I love being in agreement with Emma in regards to Stuart being wrong. Uh, <laughs> yes. Um, what, we're, what we're, as Peter was touching on, what we'll undoubtedly see is, and we already are, is just a consolidation of resources. Just as, you know, years ago when you no longer have individual names for stadiums or arenas, it's now Quicken Loans and whatnot, you, there'll, there'll be companies just branching out, just looking to put their name or brand on top of something. And people are always going to want to go to the movies. Because even sitting at home, you can watch anything. You've still got your phone in your hand. You're still getting distracted. But I, I, whatever's playing in the theater, whether it's a documentary or the smallest film or Avengers Endgame, I'm watching it for as long as it is. And there's an experience we have. Ian and I saw the, the Rise of Skywalker. And you can't replicate the experience of me snortling through it and Ian telling me to hush because it's I think terrible. it's all ridiculous now at this point. And trying, and, but it's still in my head knowing I should not ruin this experience for the six-year-old girl sitting in front of us who are experiencing this for the first time. But come on, this is, this is fucking ridiculous now. You're just retconning everything established in Last Jedi. But that, that's a conversation for a different day. And of course, Elizabeth really, uh, you know, she's right about that too. The experiences will probably get more involved and just elucidate more about the William Castle experience. Watch the 1994 John Goodman movie, Matinee. Okay. Pete, did you want to add something? Yeah, actually, I, I kind of wanted to go back a little bit to when Emma said you can't, that you can't replicate the experience of going to a theater. There's something that I, I don't think people are, are, are kind of picking up on yet, but, but it is growing very quickly. It's, it's the virtual reality glasses. Um, Oculus just put out a, a, very, a very reasonably priced pair of glasses. Um, I think they're $2.99. It's, it's probably the lowest ones they've done before. And 
you can, in theory, you know, because I, I was playing around with a different version of it the other day. You can you can be looking at a very large screen, and if you have headphones in your ear, you can get the stereo sa- surround sound experience from that. And and if the the, the uh, all the movie companies were to were to figure out a delivery system, they could sell you a movie just like like the, the way you buy a ticket to go to see a film and only one person would be able to see because obviously it would be going to a specific pair of glasses and you know you get the same experience it's, it's I, I mean I, I watched something from Netflix um, off off of a screen that looked like it was the size of my whole wall um, and it was you know it was pretty impressive but but you know, I was able to look around and see you know see chairs in other places and the, you know and they, they had a couple of like fake moving people sitting around me so it was kind of a like a, a really kind of weird um, experience but it, do, it did have that feel of a movie theater and, and you know and, and then like if they're getting seven or eight dollars on a ticket now, they could probably be charging $12, $13 to get a singular experience through your glasses. And once you use it once, it wipes it clean so you can't get the same the same movie again. And, you know, and I, I really do think you're going to see more and more people kind of going to virtual reality um, over the next year, especially because, I mean, my reasoning for doing it was because I thought it'd be interesting to go look at things I can't go to now uh, because of the pandemic. And, you know, with the price points dropping, it's really not such a bad idea. Okay, Stuart? Well, I, I think, uh, well, I, I do disagree with uh, Cameron and Emery and Peter that the chains are going to survive over the mom and pops because I think if you look at the analogy of CDs and records, there aren't C- CD record chains anymore. The only <laughs> places that sell them are smaller mom and pop shops. There are places that sell CDs, but it's not their main source of revenue. Stuart, when was that last big album release party you went to? Exactly. They don't happen. No, they still happen. It's just streaming. Right. But yeah, exactly. They're streaming. Everything's streaming now. So the the there's no incentive for chains to for like Disney's probably gonna buy some theaters. But there's no incentive for that for them to have theaters in the suburbs. Stuart, just be clear: there are some chains that have the sheen of independence, like Alamo Drafthouse, that are actually big corporations. Yeah, Alamo Drafthouse isn't going to survive. It's going to be smaller, like indie underground type, like alt venues, like so- snuff films. <laughs> I, I mean, like you go to the theater and get like it's two gonna be like so the whole world will just be eight millimeter. Well-made <laughs> really quick, speaking of the Alamo Draft House, um, I got an email from them. Um, are, are they trying a streaming service? Um, does anybody know about that? Because well, I got an email. They're, Everyone they're, is, because Lemley's yeah. been doing it. it too. Okay. Um, well, I didn't um, read it. I just saw I had got one because we're, you know, we're mem- well, we were not members, but we've yeah. been. Yeah, I saw a billboard the other day for BET Plus. I'm like, oh, could that make sense? But they obviously haven't marketed to me. Okay. Emma and then Elizabeth. Um, the place where I disagree with you on that is that uh, you need a much bigger space for theater, for movies and streaming. Uh, you can fit like 40 CDs in a box this big. Uh, you cannot fit 40 movies in a box this big. Um, so that's where I disagree with you. You can have a tiny little shop for CDs, but you cannot have a tiny little theater. Like By definition, it has to be fairly big. Uh, and that's expensive rent. Um, and then Peter, I, I hear what you're saying. And if all of this, like if Oculus was like two years ahead of where it is now, then I might be inclined to agree with you. Um, but 
even at like a reasonable price of like two ninety nine, I think you said it was. Uh, that's yeah. still a lot of money to drop, especially when very few people have. Dropped. Well, you're right. Um, right now, it's still a lot of money. But like, I, you know, I was just playing around. I took I took yeah. these ones out of out of my drawer. These cost sixteen dollars, um, and it's like. And sure. the thing is, well, they're eventually going to make these to, at a price point that everyone can own them. And, you know, and again, yes. I remember I remember I bought my first CD player when it cost, I think it was $650 for a CD player. And the only CD I could buy was Sticks Paradise Theater. So you really had to put up with a lot to get CDs, uh, to get a CD player back then. And, so, and, you know, it took them three or four years to get to a point where they, they got the price down well, to someplace where everybody could get it. So, so that's where I'm at. That's what I'm saying, though, is that like because it's going to be another two or so years before it's at a price point where everyone can buy one. That's going to be enough time for some small movie chain to get a little bit of a foothold back. And then like they still have to optimize the technology. Uh, it's not just about seeing a film. It's also about seeing a film with your friends. Mm -hmm. If I can't go on a date with my boyfriend to the movie theater in Oculus, then like what? Like that's just not as fun. I want to go with a person. figure all that out, though. I mean, that's that's. I mean, by the sure, time, by the time this is all worked out, they'll be able to do the popcorn trick uh, with those glasses on. Sure, like that can come in a couple of years. But my point is, I think another small chain is going to get a foothold before that's all ready. Oh, no, I'm not saying that. Look, I'm not saying that tomorrow movie theaters are going to stop. Um, what I'm saying is that for the next year, it doesn't really matter because we're probably not going to be able to go to them um, sure. for, for, for a large portion of it. But And I think that that because of that necessity, it's going to speed up. It's like the vaccine. You know, you, you, you usually take years to get a vaccine. Now you're gonna now you're gonna get a vaccine in six months, eight months because of necessity. So same thing's gonna happen with other things that are now a necessity. When when the, when studios have billion dollar franchises that cannot put out new product, they're gonna find ways to do it. And, but and Oculus this, is not a necessity when streaming exists. Oh no, not yet. But it will. But it will be. It's gonna be a, a big deal for everybody because you're gonna be able to do virtual. Like, they just came out with this thing called virtual office where you could literally be sitting in your office with your goggles on and work everything at your desk. Now, I mean, again, these are all things that are probably crappy right now and, and very first gen, but eventually they're, they're, it's going to, you know, and not 10 years from now, two years from now, three years from now, we're going to be at a point where the price is going to come down, the technology is going to be there, and that might eliminate the need for a lot of these things that we're all talk, worrying about now. Virtual yeah, office I mean, sounds so grim, sorry. In two years, we'll be living in Ready Player One. Yeah. Yeah, we're, we're getting close. I'm not saying it's good. I was going to ask that, like, what is, like, how do you sell that appeal of VR? Like, I feel like people are like, yeah, VR is cool, but there's some, uh, but the experience of watching a movie or even a live performance in a theater is its own thing. You can't really replicate that on VR, even if you turn your head and there's people there. Mm -hmm. You it's kind of it's still i think not going to be that appealing probably to old maybe to younger generations well, but the, the draw to vr up to this point has been an augmented reality experience a couple right. years ago i was the vip concierge for dreamscape immersive when they were doing their pop-up at westfield century city which is now a permanent location and they actually had a deal struck with amc a couple years ago which they were working on i don't know if it can happen now of, of creating a multiplex uh, VR experiences where you go in and you choose the thing you want to go on. And it's in groups of six, you're interacting with each other and the environment and you're going through a VR adventure. Uh, again, that involves being, and now it actually could still work because you're in a, probably in a group of people you've already been spending time with. So that could Your still bubble, be something yeah. fun. But yeah, as far as 
that's a, a full cinema experience they they aren't quite there yet because it's still obvious that you're in a fairly animated environment yeah. as, as interactive yeah, as that's right. that's today and, and again i'm yeah, not that's, advocating that for it yeah. i'm just saying that's going to be the next thing i, I mean if, if somebody tells you you no longer need to own a television set you could own a pair of goggles that for 250 dollars you get the same effect as, as having a 100 inch plasma um or lc led tv you know there's going to be people that are gonna that are gonna go after that I, I mean it's 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 weird because it's kind of like if you look at studies of like the uh the subway system in in los angeles who rides the subway in los angeles not a lot of people but it's mostly younger people because they are now learning that this is the this is this is a mode of transportation that older people in you know in los angeles never had so they never kind of embraced it it's it's the same thing with this younger people are going to see this as a as, a, as another another form of, of entertainment that they can use it saves money I, I mean everything you hear about people getting rid of cable not buying televisions now is always because of the cost to it so if you could just buy something that you stick on your head and for $200, you have, you have a fix all for 10 different things that you want. And again, not, not today, but maybe in two years, three years, I think that's the way it's going to go. And, and I, and I don't see how the, the studios aren't going to see this as an opportunity to get in people's houses without having to cut the middleman in. To be clear, you're advocating for people who can spend $250 on a pair of goggles to then ride public transportation completely. Well, no, no, no. What I'm saying is that everybody can spend $250 versus somebody who can't spend spend $1,200 on an 80-inch television. Give me your VR goggles, nerd. (laughs) We, We see this now, though, because in big cities like New York and Chicago and L.A., we're really lucky in here in L.A., if you want to see a movie that's on film that's not... HD or something like that. You can go to a theater. You can go to the New Beverly. You can go to the Egyptian. There's places that you can go where you can see that, and that's where like cinephiles go. You know what I mean? Uh, uh, and there's they're, they're brilliant little places, but they're all independent in some way. So that's kind of where you're going to see that future there. Now, where what we're talking about is, I'm thinking about my my friend's hometown, which is a tiny little town in Nebraska called Superior, which only has a couple thousand people. And they have one theater. So you went to the movies, you went to whatever they were playing because the next theater is an hour and a half away. And, you know, and that's a hall. So, and it was basically, and I think that they only had one screen. So it was whatever they were playing that week. That's date night. When that closes up, this is where this is going to come from. You Now you're going to be able to stream what you want to see and things like that. I don't think though that the goggles are the end all be all because I still think that a lot of times watching a movie is a social event. Oh, yeah. And, yeah. and you know, if we're all sitting there wearing goggles, it loses everything. You can't turn your head and be like, oh, my God. I still want to be able to sit around with my friends or you want to yeah. sit with, you know, you, your, your loved one or something like that and watch the movie and talk about it and stuff like that. And that's a great experience, which is why I still love and I'm so glad that they're still around right now, the drive-in, because that's the same kind of thing, because you can watch this movie but be in the car and talk and stuff like that. And that's that's part of the fun for me. That I think I think it's still social, and I think that's where you lose it with the goggles. Also, they never yeah, seem to design them to go over glasses. We've got to stop you guys because we have our guests has been waiting to come on, so we'll okay. be able to revisit this after afterwards. Okay, so our guest tonight, McCall Taylor, is a morning show radio DJ on Utah's FF excuse me VFX Radio. She's also the host of her own podcast, Quit Your Damn Job. Let's welcome McCall Taylor. Hi, McCall. Can you hear me? Oh, I think you're muted. Is it work? Is it oh, working Did I fix it? Okay. Yes, yes. Hi, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. 
So McCall, you have a morning radio show in Utah. How did you get started in radio? And was this a career decision you made yourself or did it just happen? So I actually got started in radio. It's been about seven years ago now. And growing up, I always thought this was something that I kind of wanted to do. Um, but an opportunity just kind of arose. I was working in a bank at the time and there was a lady that came through the drive-thru that said she worked at the radio station. And I decided that I wanted to go chase my dream and go do it. So it just kind of came around. And then I ended up working at that radio station for about four years in a, just a small town. It wasn't a rated market or anything and had the opportunity to move back to uh, the location that I grew up in and actually became a morning show on the radio station that I grew up listening to. So uh, cool. Yeah, super, super cool. And I just kind of fell into it, I guess. Mm -hmm. So I asked my last question because you also host a podcast called Quit Your Damn Job, where you encourage listeners to follow their dreams and find careers that fulfill them. Can you tell us a little bit about your podcast? Absolutely. So I actually started it off in January and I started it as a, so you want to start a business was what I had called it originally. And just about a month ago, I decided I know nothing about business. All I know is like chasing your dream and being more fulfilled by finding that thing that you're passionate about. So I get inside of the minds of some of the people that are local that have done just that, that have quit their jobs to go and pursue a career in, whether it be in photography or other people across the country that I've also been in contact with through radio. Okay. So on each show, you have guests come on to talk about their careers. Is there one thing you've learned from your guests about what makes someone a success or a failure? in their career? Anything that you can share with us? You know, some of the things that I've found is a lot of mindset and a lot of working on your mindset and working on developing um, like positive habits to make sure that you are, I don't know, building yourself up for more of a successful future. Mm -hmm. Okay. So you started this, you said in January, right? So right before mm -hmm. the pandemic started. Yep. So have these last seven months of COVID and the economic downturn changed your opinion at all about people quitting their jobs to follow their dreams? Because I, what I've noticed, like even talking with friends of mine, yeah. a lot of people have, you know, contemplating changing their jobs or their careers mm -hmm. because of COVID and because they don't see themselves going back to doing what they were doing prior to that. So what's been your experience with anybody that you've talked to or what do you think about this? Honestly, I feel like if anything, it has led for more of a potential to be successful in more realms because we have the ability now with social media, with, you know, the internet to be able to do anything at this point in time, um, more so than ever before. And I think a lot of jobs and employers are actually seeing the capability of their people to be able to work from home. And the people that have been working from home are now seeing the capability within themselves to be able to accomplish so much more than they ever expected before. And so I think it's kind of led to some people finding that love within themselves mm -hmm. and pursuing it. Mm -hmm. Okay. So I'm going to open it up to questions from our panel. Does anybody have any questions? That they want to ask let's start with you joe um this also kind of relates to the pandemic um uh obviously in, in many cases it's not quit your damn job it's hey covid made sure that you don't have a damn job uh -huh. um but to follow dreams in a lot like right now i think in a lot of situations is tough how do you feel how do you feel people are you know you know dealing with that like if you want to get into like media right now or if you want to get into travel 
oh, you're kind of you're kind of screwed. So I mean, I mean, what do you say about that? Do you, hey, do you want to wait or what? I mean, what? I mean, how do you how do you handle that? You know, I think for the most part with people looking into this passion, I think if anything, it sparked that passion inside of them. And so it's making them more aware of these things that they are loving um, and maybe even capable of saving up some money at this point in time. If, you know, hopefully they still have their, their steady income in the first place um, to be able to start saving up money to do more travel blogging or um, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Okay. Elizabeth. Yeah, actually, I know this is well before COVID, but I do, I do know somebody who uh, is now a full-time like YouTube content creator, uh-huh. uh, but he was working a full-time job for like the first, mm, I think close to a year until he could confidently say like, yes, and it was a dream he pursued. But on the flip side, have pe- have you encountered people, maybe not on the podcast, but just in general who have been like, I want to quit and pursue this dream that I think I love and it is something I'm passionate about but once they kind of get into the reality of it they sort of go back or have to alter the dream as it were yeah I think I I've seen a lot of people that have done that they've thought that this is the dream that they've wanted to pursue and um for the most part the people that I've known have not fully quit their jobs they have just kind of dabbled in it as like a hobby and then kind of decided from there um but I, I I feel like sometimes when you do just quit your job and go directly into it, it kind of initiates like a sink or swim type situation mm-hmm. where you feel like, okay, so now I have to succeed, which yeah. then kind of puts your nose to the grindstone. Mm-hmm. Pete, do you have a question? Go ahead. Sure. Um, I just want to ask, it seems like when it comes to podcasts, um, you've got true crime. Mm-hmm. Um, then you have uh, probably people doing old movie reviews, talking about bad movies, and then after that, it's a lot of, of essentially what you're what you're kind of talking about, like um, how to how to enjoy your career better, how to find a better career. You know, considering that it, it is such such a um, a busy space, I guess would be the best way I could put it. You know, what, what do you think that you you're offering that that's kind of any different than what, than maybe the other thousand and one um, podcasts like yours? You know, the only thing that for me, I feel like I am offering that is different. I don't really know. Um, Cause truthfully, the only reason why I was even pursuing it in the first place is because I know how happy I am doing what I'm doing. And I just want more people to be able to do that. I want more people to feel happy every single day waking up and getting to do the thing that they love, that they are so passionate about. And so that's more so where I'm coming from. Like, mm-hmm. I honestly don't really care if it gets successful or if it gets massive or, you know, blows up or anything like that. It would be cool. But even the fact that like one person's going to be taking the time out of their day to be able to listen and maybe find a little tidbit of knowledge is like, overwhelming to me absolutely Mm -hmm. that's great elizabeth i'm with you because i enjoy doing uh like live instagram commentary on old movies peter yeah uh (laughs) but i don't entire i (laughs) it is a hundred percent for me i don't expect it to do anything launch me into anything i basically like it mostly because i can talk uninterrupted for like two hours <laughs> yeah, mccall stay away from like uh, comedic commentary on daily news okay <laughs> yeah. obviously that's not going anywhere <laughs> um 
but I guess do you even like I, I think that's my other question to spring off my first one is like what's the line between like hobby and career and like knowing like the Instagram live thing is never going to make me money unless some mad sponsors show up and yeah I, yeah probably not even then um if it and if it's something that won't make you money how do you like advise people to find the balance of like this is a hobby you still enjoy uh is it like a like work to live versus live to work kind of thing yeah that was a confusing question i apologize that's okay that's okay <laughs> i'll i'll navigate it uh you know for me, the podcast for me is just hobby at this point in time. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not something again, it's not something that I expect is going to blow up or anything. But where I do have a persona on in the market in the radio, um, I feel like it just kind of gives people more insight into kind of what's going on in my life and how I really do want to be involved. And I really do want people to do more internal growth than anything because i think once you do find that internal growth no matter where you're where you go you're going to be able to find the happy within any situation wherever your job is so whether that be quit your damn job and you know chase yourself and pursue the happiness within yourself or whether it be quit your job and go find a brand new path for a brand new career okay i actually have one more question for you okay. since you are a dj so your station plays top 40 um, hits. Uh -huh. Are there any new artists that you think people should be checking out that we may, maybe that like have not heard of or any that you recommend? We might um, not be as hip as we seem. We're not very, yeah, I'm not very hip. You, you're more hip than I am, Pete. <laughs> <laughs> so I actually, I do a ton of, um, I'm across a, like six different stations across the state of Utah. So I do like top 40 and country um, mm. and then classic rock and whatever sprinkled in. But the top 40 artists that I think I've been paying more attention to like more of the alternative realm of things um, recently, because I feel like top 40 is kind of trending that direction with Machine Gun Kelly coming out with his uh, Ticket to My Downfall album that was way more alternative than anything. Um, I feel like people need to be paying more attention to Youngblood. I also feel like people need to be paying attention to uh, Ian Dior, who is on the rise. He's had a couple of really popular things. Uh, 24K Golden's another one that I think is really good. And then like to switch over into like the country realm of things, there's a country artist by the name of Nate Smith that just kind of has picked up a little bit that I think is going to start doing some really, 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 really big things. So... Mm. Good to know. <laughs> we, sound, we sound so up to date now. I know. <laughs> Does anybody else have any other questions from a call? Okay, so lastly, before um, before you go, where can people listen to your podcast? Um, it is across uh, podcasting platforms, so Spotify, Apple, I guess Google Play, wherever wherever you podcast at, you can search uh, "Quit Your Damn Job." I also have it on YouTube. I've got it on Facebook. I've got it on LinkedIn. Just everywhere. If you just search "Quit Your Job." quit your damn job or uh the mccall taylor oh well thank you so much mccall thank you guys it was nice to meet you nice to meet you too thank you so much mccall bye bye okay so i want to go back to our um just one question portion of the show um so we're moving on last night at trump's florida rally he offered to kiss everyone in the crowd dance to ymca and the crowd was treated to macho man prior to his arrival. My question to you is, is Trump making a conscious effort for the gay vote or is he co as completely oblivious as his supporters are? Let's start with you, Emma. I mean, 
I, I would argue that it was like a couple of things and they thought in his head, man, that's so gay. And then he realized, oh, there's like three gays for Trump people I want to hold on to. So I, I think it's more of a chicken or the egg type thing. Like, I don't know if he intended to pan to gay people, but I think once he realized, he was like, yeah, I'll kiss all the men. Let's go. Okay. Uh, Cam? Oh, you're muted, bud. Oh. We can't hear you. Oh, the best sound of all I thought you were saying that you could hear the helicopter in Hollywood. Uh, no, when Trump's pandering to a specific group, he then finds one single specific person in that crowd, much like with the famous, there's my African-American. If he really was, he'd have found someone in the crowd and said, hey, there's my homosexual. Um, also, I'm on Trump's campaign email list. It's hilarious. I get dozens of emails from him a day. They all read like he's selling boner pills as a Nigerian prince. Um, always offering, for instance, right now, like they're all, he's always offering, or whoever in the campaign, matching donations. So if I donate, amount like today was 700% match. So $5 is $40. Although I just got another email, it's up to 80, 850%. He's cracking. I don't know who's matching. Why don't they just go to this one person who's matching donations? It makes no sense really. But he's been throwing in a lot of gifts for one lucky donation winner, like a signed Trump Pence football. I don't really think that's a, 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 a That's the manliest the gift you could get. Actually, wait. Um, I, I, don't, I don't want to violate anybody's HIPAA, but um, if somebody here who happens to be of the homosexual persuasion would find a Trump-Pence football appealing, raise your hand. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay, uh, let's go to you, Ian. <laughs> uh, I mean, as a, as a practicing homosexual. <laughs> <laughs> I just thought you were an expert at this point. I thought you were well, an expert. I'm, I'm told by Amy Coney Barrett it's merely a preference. Look, you, never, you, you, you never stop learning. Um, I just, you know, I think Trump wants the D. I think that's what it comes down to. Trump wants the D, and it's, it's finally coming out. It's coming to life. Okay. Elizabeth, I mean, Eric, Eric had that slip of the tongue <laughs> a couple of weeks ago where he said he was a member of the LGBTQ community. Um, no, I think he's like, as Cameron was saying, like so oblivious. Because I, there were people who were like, "Wait, the village people are gay or like a gay icon?" Like they didn't get that what when it was ha like when they were a thing. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure those people still exist today. That if you're like, yeah, like I don't know which member are or if, if any were for sure gay, but like you know, in the yeah, Navy, yeah. yeah, no, the like, village people are all just jobs that Trump keeps promising to bring back. Like right, we're going to bring back Native American chiefs. Bring, we're we're going to have back. so many more Native American oh, jobs. Leather, leather bikers. Leather bikers. Leather guy was definitely gay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I served in the military yeah, before I was president. Leather, there were no, there were no sailors in the village people, and now they have one. <laughs> yeah. Oh, the whole song dedicated no, to them. No, 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 no. He's only switched. He switched costumes for the in the Navy video. So there was mm. a sailor in the in the Navy video. I will say no, that. No, they always had a sailor. Yeah. And he was straight. Uh, I know. I, I only know that because because I saw the uh, VH1 behind the music. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there was like the the the, the gay ones were the uh, the gay members, not the gay ones. The gay members were the leather guy, um, the construction worker, and I think maybe uh, also the, the, uh, the Indian, but I can't be certain. Oh, okay. And you could say Indian because back then it wasn't Indian. Sorry. 
Were you going to say something? Oh, yeah, no, I was, I was going to say there's absolutely no way that Trump knew that these songs were, were like anthems for the gay community um, until until yesterday no. when, when Anderson Cooper was, was barely able to not giggle while it was playing in the background and then he heard about it and you'll never, ever hear a village no. people song. In one no, of no, 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 no. I no. disagree with that because no. Trump, Trump was an icon in New York in the 80s and the, and the late yeah, 90s. He was also oblivious in all times just like he was he in now. the movie. He was in the movie 54. So I'm pretty sure he knows what's a gay anthem and what's not. No, I mean, no, you, I mean no, you could have no. gone to, to a lot of clubs in the 80s and you could figure it out. Philip online said that he stole Pence's mixtape. Can I say something here, please? Paul Hollywood said rainbow bagels or NHS bagels. I mean, look, look, white men, old white men don't know what the fuck's going on in the real world. Let's just be honest. Trump Trump ain't got his ear to the ground. He's been up in some fucking gilded caves for the last 30 years. You don't know what the gay people are doing. Yeah, fuck. (laughs) Stuart? Yeah, I mean, I think he was completely oblivious, but I also think he's going to double down now because I think he just hates being wrong so much that he just refuses to admit it. And like, even though like, obviously he's not, not gay, he like is homophobic. He's just going to double down because he doesn't want to be perceived as like admitting he was wrong. Yeah, oh, nobody with that, wrong. nobody with that hairstyle has gay friends. That ill-fitting Brioni suit might be a little more tailored if he had a gay friend around. You were just and I guess Rick Grinnell doesn't count. Like Trump was just there, like enjoying the music and all that, right? And he keeps looking down, like, "Why is Eric keep blowing up my phone? I don't understand. I'm going to wait till this uh, is done." And Eric you, is like, "You know, nine one one." You know, there was at least there was at least one guy who was sitting home today watching the news, and he yelled out to his wife, "Honey, did you hear that Macho Man was for the queers?" <laughs> exactly. I'm telling you, there are people to this day who don't know the gay relationship to the to the village people. I just don't think they do. I hope he is next. Peter, to... Peter wants to know why companies aren't collabing with him. No, I, want his... <laughs> I was doing the character. <laughs> I want his next campaign song to be Jawbreaker by Judas Priest. That'd be great. <laughs> okay. So Johnson & Johnson announced that they halted their phase three trials of their coronavirus vaccine yesterday after a participant suffered an unexplained illness. My question is, since it's pretty obvious now that there won't be a vaccine before the election, should the pharmaceutical companies slow down the process so that they can create a drug that Americans will trust enough to get? Or is this a case, is this a case of the sooner the better? Now, Cam, I know you're part of a, a vaccine yeah. trial. Do you yeah. want to talk briefly about this and how are you doing with that? Give us a little update. Well, I'm in the Pfizer, Pfizer in conjunction with BioNTech um, and their studies being run through Kaiser, about 29,000 participants. And that there, there are two main uh, vaccines being researched right now. One sort of a, a standard vaccine, very similar to the flu shot, which can be kept uh, at room temperatures, more easy to distribute. And that varies very technical the ways that affects it. One just kind of causes the body, and much like the flu shot, just causes you to react as if it's a real virus and create antibodies. The other one sort of creates antibodies that then modify the virus's RNA. Again, that's, I'm in the one that requires two shots and has to keep kept very cold, which even if it's effective, also creates great distribution issues. I think we've talked about that before. Anyway, I two weeks ago, I got the second injection. Um, I, I, I feel fine. Um, no, no reactions. They have me 
uh, with an app reporting if I have any symptoms or not. Um, it may have been a placebo or it could be the real thing. Either way, I still got the microchip, so I'm good. Is it, are you craving uh, brains? How are you doing? No, I, I got into a little bit with a guy on Facebook the other day who said like, oh, you just let them uh, um, implant the mind control device. I'm like, first of all, I will happily do it that way. Because if that is the case, I got the first generation, the prototype one, the one's going to break down super easy. We'll figure out how to just do it, like electrocute it, like Tom Cruise in Mission Impossible <laughs> 3. Whereas by the time they hold you down and stick it in you, there's no way to get to that. They've Never done. take the first gen. Just, just, yeah. just real quick, I'm there checking my, my Citizen app. And it says that somebody has barricaded themselves uh, in a location near Orange and Franklin. I want to make sure that that's, that's not you, Cameron. It's not, but I, I'm close enough because I know. Yeah, because I, I live on Orange <laughs> I think between you're the one Franklin and Hollywood. So, yeah, there's a helicopter going around. And yesterday, <laughs> yesterday Highland was, was, was shut down and barricaded by police between uh, Hollywood and Sunset for some. Yeah, there was there. a really bad accident. OK, yeah. Uh, I love that citizen app. It, it it just scares the hell out of you knowing all, every single crime that's happening in your neighborhood. Anyway, going back to the vaccine real quick. Um, like I think I was posted on Facebook a month ago, you know, just calling shenanigans on Trump's supposed timeline because uh, there it, it whether I have the, the actual vaccine or not, um, I'm in two groups, one who got the vaccine or the, the control group. It's a double blind study. So you have to monitor both groups for for several months. So it's probably going to be February and March that they have enough data to confirm whether it's an effective vaccine to begin with and if it's safe. Although if it's already in phase three trial like me for double blind study, it's been determined safe after challenge trials. Um, so there's really no way to have it before the election. And I think they'll actually it'll still go faster than a standard study for this would because they're going to have to lift the blinds sooner just for an ethical standpoint because we are in the middle of the pandemic so it's just a good idea to let me know in february whether or not i actually am vaccinated and then hey we turns out we do have an effective vaccine thanks to you not getting one here's a vaccine okay right. i'm Stuart. yeah i mean ultimately politics should have no bearing on whether or not a vaccine is approved um that shouldn't what have a beautiful that. world that would be i mean yeah realistically i don't know how realistic that is but ideally no um, I obviously there isn't going to be one before the election, um, but something I think is worth noting. I know a lot of the, um, no, I mean, not a lot. I know some of the companies who are in the trials for the vaccines are pre-manufacturing them. So they're doing the trials for these vaccines and also manufacturing them to have them ready in case they are approved and work, mm -hmm. which I think is a good plan. Yeah. Um, you know, obviously getting the vaccine is, is one step, but you need to be able to mass produce it and distribute it. So I you think- know, Fauci was talking about in the middle of summer in front of Congress that we're not just trying focusing on one, we're, we need to invest in several right. and get them going at once. In fact, um, <laughs> INO, which is one of the leading vaccines, but they got a huge grant from DOD a couple months ago, and that's one I actually invested in, um, to actually for a, um, a device for, for, for uh, dispensing it. And that's a contract for the military because when it comes around, it's going to be a, a big job for the military to actually um, dispense this because we're gonna have to, there are going to be protocols for who's getting it in what order. I don't know if it's a lottery system, probably something very similar to contagion. Okay, Pete. Um, actually, I, I wanted to ask Cameron a question. Um, yeah. So, so when when you um, first got vaccinated or even beforehand, did they tell you to change your habits in any way or did they no. want you to just do things the same way you always did? Uh, no, yeah, just keep going about it. They they did a fairly thorough um, 
uh, almost nearly as thorough check as to become a Universal Studios tour guide. Uh, I found so it's a two-step <laughs> process instead of that three-step process. Uh, yeah, they, 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 if, I mean, I responded to the email. I think the Kaiser sent out to its members if they're interested in this, because I have Kaiser. I said, absolutely. Hey, free vaccine. Actually, I'm getting a little bit of stipend for it um, as well. But uh, so, yeah, they, they asked me all about my background because they're looking, of course, as well in, in for both groups, um, control and active vaccine groups, specific demographics. And I'm a 38 year old, relatively healthy uh, white man. So I. I no, just because I'm curious, head. like. Oh, how, yeah. But as yeah, far how as. Do they, um, how are they going to know yeah. whether or not like it's effective? If, let's say you got the actual vaccine, mm -hmm. but you're doing everything that you would have done to avoid getting. No, the, no. The well, no, no. What? The, no. What? Because now. So I have. So uh, I, it was two weeks apart. No, actually three weeks apart. So I got the first vaccine beginning of September, September 28th. I got the second vaccine. Now, once a month, I'm going to go in for blood draws. So they're going to be monitoring antibody development in me. So if it's from the vaccine, they at this point from challenge trials in phase two, and then compare it to everybody else in the group who, um, once they lift the blinds to know whether they were getting at this pretty much at the same level, developing antibodies as a vaccine versus the control group. And then just from exposure. And that's part of the thing too. So I'm reporting whether I'm having any symptoms or not, because you also want to know if much like the flu shot, sometimes you can get um, a reaction to it similar to the flu, like, like a mini version of the flu. I haven't had any of that yet. Although taking flu shots, I never really had that problem either. You so, don't have a tail, do you? Uh, other than the, uh, the like little, you know, <laughs> not <laughs> enough to keep me out of Vietnam. It's not that okay. big of a <laughs> Elizabeth. I was just going to say thank you for participating in the study oh, uh, because I'm a person who would need it sooner yeah. than most, potentially. Yeah. Uh, so I this, this good deed tempers all the other dickishness there you go. that I have going for me. <laughs> <laughs> Emma. Uh, so good on you for tempering that out. Um, I was. This can be sober too. <laughs> um, I. So this is going to be a little bit of a response to Veronica's question, then it's going to come back to you, Cameron. Um, so to actually bounce a little bit off of what Stuart said, um, I don't think that politics should influence whether or not we take a vaccine or how quickly it comes out. Of course it does anyway. Uh, but just because it won't come out before election day doesn't mean we don't need it as fast as possible. Like we still need this shit sooner rather than later. Uh, so like still keep going fast, I'll take any vaccine so long as public health officials, not necessarily Trump, but public health officials say it's okay. So Fauci says it's okay. The commission that uh, Governor Cuomo put together says it's okay. Then like, sure, whenever it comes out, I don't care. If it comes out tomorrow when they both say it's fine, great, let's go. Um, and then Cameron, uh, I'm not sure you answered the, the original question, uh, which is like, do you think they should be speeding things up? I'm curious since you're going through it. No. Like how much and more speedy do you think it could be? It, it's already the speediest. Like I said, it's that there, there are requirements for at least for the study that I'm in that just I mean, again, just to determine safety. And, and the FDA already said uh, last week, the week before that they're not they're not approving anything that's not coming to them with at least the, the two months of just study determining that it's safety, that there were no issues. And but you, yeah, nothing's coming. Nothing's happening probably until February at the earliest and i mean that's just the fact I, you, can't, you can't no matter with will and 
I mean, Peter and I were having a back and forth a bit. Um, I'm still not entirely convinced that he actually had COVID because this is just a crazy timeline. But now Trump gets now Trump gets to play both sides because he gets to be an anti-vaxxer again as well. So, like Emma's saying, is like this vaccine is only effective if enough people take it. So, um, like the vaccine itself could only be maybe 90, 95 percent effective. You still need 75 percent of the people who haven't yet had coronavirus to take that vaccine. And if we've got people who one are just stupid anti-vaxxers to begin with, and then other people who aren't going to trust it because either they don't trust Trump or they don't trust not Trump. Hmm. Um, so. Hey, Stuart. Um, yeah. I mean, I think that's a good point from Cameron is I think if you think the mask mandate politic, you know, political battles have been bad, wait until the vaccine comes out. It's going to be 10 times worse. Um, and another uh, good point Karen made was the military is going to be involved in the distribution and application of the virus because until enough people take it, it's not going to work. And until enough, until it works, our economy is absolute crap. So, I mean, at a certain point, if people are refusing to take it, it's going to get very, very bad. And I think I'm more, I'm less worried about, you know, the timeline of the vaccine and what happens when we have the vaccine. Yeah, no, it's definitely going to be, I mean, there's going to be so many issues. Like you said, I mean, look at people refusing to wear masks. Imagine, you know, telling them, oh, by the way, you have to inject something into your body. And that's, and on top of that, you also have the anti-vaxxers, which is a whole different, you know, side of everything. So it's going to, it's going to be interesting. Uh, Pete? Kind of along those lines, one of the things that I, I, I question is, let's, let's go to November 10th and, and Trump's now lost the election and there's no disputes, there's no things in the court, you know, perfect world scenario. Clearly he doesn't care any longer if anybody gets, you know, gets a vaccine to market before the time he's out of office at that point. Is it, is it worth the, these, the, the FDA and these companies to now say, you know what, maybe instead of doing double blind um, studies, maybe we do a triple blind or whatever it is to slow down the process just a little bit because people, I don't think people understand until until something like was it's almost 70 percent of the country has the vaccine we are still in danger like it doesn't like so and right now more than 60 percent of the country says they will not get a vaccine um immediately mm-hmm. um with like something like 48 percent or 49 percent saying that they won't get one at all until uh, until they've, they've seen everybody else get it and so you know it almost feels like yeah, it's great to, 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 to see this come to an end. But at the same time, if, if, you know, clearly it's not happening before November 3rd, but if it came out November 25th, there's still going to be so many millions of people that are just not going to get it. If they don't get it, it won't matter um, if, if the rest of us get it, because until we get to some version of herd immunity, there's, it's just not going to end. So I'm just wondering if once Trump has no more, no more stake in this, because clearly he never had a stake in the, in the sense of, wanting to make sure people were healthy. His whole stake was in the, the stock market and in you know his reelection. And if those two things don't matter to him any longer, which clearly it won't if, if he's lost, will will the FDA and all these these pharma companies say, you know what, I'd rather have the, 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 the first working uh, vaccine instead of the first vaccine in the market. Okay, Emma? I think a lot of that comes down to leadership uh, if it comes out November 25th, then sure, we're going to have a bigger problem with that. And we're going to have a lot of people saying, oh, I don't know. Uh, I want to see other people take it first. But I think that if you have 
let's let's knock on wood and cross our fingers just in case. But let's say President Biden, my lips to God's ears, uh, let's say he says, you know what? Yes, like this is safe. I'm going to take it. Like here is press of me taking it. Uh, if you've got a leader who is willing to show confidence in something like that, I think those numbers change a whole lot. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, final comment. Uh, Joe, finish it off. We, if we can figure out a way that instead of it being um, uh, an injection, if, if we can ingest it, then we would be safe because we could just put it in Coors Light, uh, boxes of Franzia. Uh, out here in, in, in California, we just put it in sushi, and we would get 70% of the population pretty much inoculated within a week. I think that that's a really great idea. Let's work on that, drug companies. Okay. <laughs> no, I, just, I, just, I just want to respond to, you know, Peter, you bring up a good point about uh, whether it's being rushed to work here or not. And, we, yeah, we've had two instances now, Johnson Johnson um, halting theirs because somebody got sick. Whether it's late or not, we don't know. And a couple weeks ago with AstraZeneca as well. And again, because everybody's, of course, keeping their cards close to their vet, their chest in, in regards to this, whether what's working, what's not. I think that's all part of the process. And you mentioned the stock market. That's that really is the, the bottom line. So I don't think any company is going to risk um, their entire future, their their stock price. I mean, that's why they're in this anyway, um, is, is to get that. And. If, if, you know, you notice companies that have small recalls or whatnot, they get past it because they embrace the PR and say, we're, we're doing this right. And they get through it. And then they probably get, they get a good bounce back. If they let something go out, if Toyota or Ford lets a car go out that they know is, is not safe, there was no, there's no more Ford, there's no more Toyota. But if, you know, it's a bad airbag or a bad door, it gets recalled. I, I don't think a, we're going to get that far that a vaccine needs to be recalled or it's not safe, but that's the thing. They're going to do enough testing. <laughs> They've let plenty of cars that went out unsafe. The Ford Focus has the record for the most recalls in history. There was a recall. But they the did the recalls. That's my point. It never hit the dealerships and had a recall. Good. So. <laughs> Good. Thank you. That's my point. Yeah. Okay. okay. So on this date in 1958, author Michael Bond released a book called A Bear Called Paddington which introduced Paddington Bear to the world. Over the past seven de decades, over 30 million books about the bear from Paddington have been sold, along with millions of stuffed bears, two major motion pictures, and a slew of TV specials. Before we go tonight, we thought it would be fun to ask each panelist, what was their most loved fictional character as a child? And what do they think is the most important children's characters of all time? So who wants to start? Let's start with you, Joe. All right. Now remember, I'm I'm an old fart around here, but um, Peanuts and specifically Snoopy. But Peanuts was when I was a little kid. Uh, Peanuts was everything. I think I seen every single movie. I think I I I, I can remember bawling, crying, watching uh, Snoopy come home. Uh, uh, and I've seen I've seen them all. And I and I'll still say to this day. Um, Peanuts is really still kind of iconic. Everyone still knows the song, the theme songs. Everyone still knows about the Great Pumpkin and I Got a Rock and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, but I mean, if you ask me, when I was real, real little, it was all I had Snoopy, Joe Cool pajamas and everything. It was it was Peanuts. Okay, I'm gonna go around and I'm gonna ask everybody. Pete, how about you? Well, um, you know, I, I actually, Peanuts would have probably been my first choice too, but I, I, I think that if you grew up anytime from the 70s till today, um, there's probably less of a chance that it, it was something that came out of a, out of a book 
only because you're so as a kid you're so inundated with with cartoons on television with disney um that that you kind of don't have that experience like like i'm sure if you go back 50 or 60 years you're going to see people that are going to say raggedy ann and or you're going to see um young girls that are going to they're going to tout like the the little uh, little house on the well, prairie books um you know, but I, I don't know. I mean, I, I for me, I, I think again, peanuts. Yeah, that's that's probably the one thing that you know, as as a kid, you you just you all identified to. I, I mean, there was different Disney movies that I loved, but peanuts was just one thing that no matter what it was, it was just great because it was peanuts. Okay, how about you, Elizabeth? Um, yeah, mine's kind of like splits the difference um, because it's. For me, it was The Wizard of Oz. That's definitely the movie I watched the most as a little, little kid, like playing that VHS tape over and over. That was the like one VHS tape I asked my mom to save when she was cleaning out our house when we were selling it and moving it. Recently, I was like, I need you to save me that VHS tape because it was the 50th anniversary and it had a booklet in the front with all the stuff. And it has uh, like a little making of thing in the back at the tail end of the movie after the credits and everything. And a Downey commercial at the beginning where they put on a little Wizard of Oz play and with all their snuggly Downey clothes. It's great. It's, it's, the, it's the whole experience. I like never fast forwarded even the stupid Downey commercial. Um, but yeah, I just, I've always, I love the Wizard of Oz. I think because it has kind of something for everybody um as far as like influential like kids identifying you can identify with dorothy or scarecrow tin man or cowardly lion wicked witch if you're feeling saucy you know uh <laughs> and i think it has that beautiful quote uh with the tin man at the end where it's uh, a heart is not judged by how much you love but by how much you are loved by others Okay. Do you think that was your gateway into classic cinema? Do you think oh, hundred percent, yeah. Scarecrow was my first crush too. Somebody was like, "What do you think your first crush was?" I was like, "Scarecrow," and they're like, "Really?" I'm like, "Yeah," because he was super nice. Mm-hmm. He was just, he helped her out. He was by her side the whole time. I like a nice dude. It's easy. <laughs> Emma, out of that. That's entirely fair. Uh, when I first had this question on the rundown, I thought we we're talking about like little little kid. Uh, so when I was like three and four, I loved Winnie the Pooh. I had a bunch of those VHSs yeah. and I, you know, watched them. And I think there's a lot of those that still hold up. Like you see some lessons with like Eeyore and Piglet and like, those are, those are relevant life lessons about depression and anxiety today, which is super interesting to, and fun to watch. But I will say, so long as we're talking about uh, things that will also appeal to adults. Once I turned seven, if it wasn't Harry Potter, it didn't matter. Uh, and that still kind of continues to this day. Okay. Uh, Stuart. Yeah, so I think, um, I mean, it depends on what age you're talking about. I think when I was really young, it was like Miss Frizzle. Mm-hmm. And then well, as I got older, it's sort of uh, between like SpongeBob and Percy Jackson and the Lighting Thief series were sort of my favorites. Um, two of those are from books, Peter, by the way. Okay, so what? So you're right. And I was going to say, my other thing that I really loved when I was eight was Island of the Blue Dolphins. Look who's that. Oh, I love that book. Yeah, I was Catalina. obsessed. That was the, uh, like, Again, of like clearing childhood things out, I said, save me that copy, that paperback random copy of Island of the Blue Dolphins. My, well, one, my parents wrote Happy Birthday in it, so it's very sentimental. Aww. But then I just loved, I read that book like three or four times when I was little, and I felt very smart later when they're like, it's a sixth grade level book. I was like, hell yeah, it is. I'm smart as well. <laughs> Um, but I liked her, uh, whole her independent journey. She had the dog and she hung out with otters, but like survived on the island by herself for years. And I thought that was fucking cool. Ian. 
Um, well, two of them. Where's was E.T. was a big one when I was a little kid because um, I wanted an alien to come and totally like upend my life. Uh, <laughs> anything would have been better. Uh, and then uh, the other one was Han Solo. I always wanted to be Han Solo when I was a kid. You know, he was my oh, brother. Was always, he always played Luke, so I always ended up playing Han Solo. So you know, it just kind of happened. I fell into it. I named my first cat Scoundrel. You know. Oh. And what about you, Cameron? Peter Pan, for me, um, the, both the Disney and the, and the stage play, um, and and legitimately, it is still a role I want to do. I want to play Peter Pan completely straight, as you know, as as a man approaching forty, two hundred pounds, one hundred eighty-five pounds actually. He and those, uh, and and but yeah, just have fun with it. I've also kind of created a, a character as well. Uh, Jamie Humphrey McAllister, who's also been a guy since about 12, playing Peter Pan on stage, and now 25 years later, still trying to do it, touring like regional theaters in Florida, doing dinner theater, and he's just a wreck. Um, but, and it's, it's, it's really affected my life, including a little side note, when I was four years old, my mom, uh, she was, at the time, she was a reporter uh, for the Argus in the Bay Area, and she was doing a story for the entertainment section because the touring, national touring production, Peter Pan, was in town. So we got to go and got to see it. She got to go, we got to go backstage, and see the cast and everything. I'm just four years old, so I had to go with her, including in the actress's dressing room. And there, I got to see Tiger Lily um, Alfresco, shall we say? And Freud, being Freud, that has created a sexual kink for me, which continues to this day. <laughs> okay. Too much information, Cameron. No, not enough information. Really TMI. So, 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 if so if anyone in my life, you know, puts her in pigtails and a naga high dress, I go crazy. <laughs> So Peter, Peter Pan. <laughs> so I, I, do, I do have the full costume as well. So when I read the question, I interpreted more like a uh, my favorite character, like book character as a kid. And for me, it's Ramona Quimby, the oh, um, Beverly yeah. Cleary books, my favorite. I could read those books over and over again, even though the books were written in the late, I think the first Ramona book was written in the late 1960s. I grew up in the 80s, but that those are the books that I would read as a kid. And I just and to this day, if I had a book right now, I would I'd just open it up and just start reading it. So for me, that was my favorite. Um, Am I too old for anybody else to remember Richard Scarry books? Oh, yeah. No, I love, I love Scary. Oh, was that Was that a thing beyond the 70s? Yeah, they, they had like, they had, I had the books and then the then they had like a whole TV series too that they would oh, yeah. turn into. It was so good. I, I mean, those books, I, I loved those books when I was a kid. I mean, because you got the, uh, either you got the big thick book or you got the the little golden book, They I think they were called. Yeah, Busy um, World of Richard Scarry. Yeah, yeah, those are, those are great books. Oh, before we sign off, uh, a rare moment of seriousness for me. Um, today... We, we got back. That's why I signed a little late. My girlfriend, Queen, became a citizen Yay! Yay! for her, her interview and test. And because of COVID, they don't do separate. So Aww. she got it was a small ceremony. She got naturalized and everything today. Queen, you can oh. leave now. You don't have to stay with them any longer. Exactly. Right. <laughs> so also, she can vote. Right? And she can vote. Right. It's her first election. Oh, just kidding. <laughs> Congratulations, <laughs> yeah, yeah, we wanted That's to vote. Wish you could have had the big ceremony that because I have had a friend. No, there was uh, there were some other people there. Yeah. Okay, yeah, I think maybe ten or so. I wasn't there because I couldn't go in. Right. Did, did Trump swear in like he did uh, uh, during his um, convention? I think it was uh, a tele. swear. No, it was it was it was a deep state official. Okay. <laughs> and, and, and like, was one of the questions when they said, "Do you want to become American citizen?" Was it? Are you sure? 
<laughs> you can back out yeah. anytime. But, but no, like I, I said, I think I really want yeah. to do it. No, I, I was telling Peter, because um, we, we talked privately, but because you know, I was helping her study for the, the, the test, it's 100 questions, and oh, Elizabeth knows too. Um, I, I'm fairly confident that, uh, that our commander in chief could not pass that test. <laughs> I'm very that you couldn't pass not. the test. But it's also like, kind of, yeah, it's also kind of frustrating though to, to be trying just in a very elementary way going over the checks and balances in our three branches of government. And I can't actually point to that actually working at this moment in time. <laughs> we should do, we should it do that test. It would be maddening to, to, copy to, the test, find to go over that in detail and realize we we find it none of that's happening. Right. <laughs> we, should, we should all take that test one day uh, yeah, on the yeah. show for fun. Yeah, we got the book like right here. you did with the cognitive test. <laughs> hey, I, I passed. You did, you passed. I'm very proud of you. So, okay, so with that being said, <laughs> that's our show for tonight. Thank you so much for joining us. And we'll see you back here again tomorrow at 6 p.m. Bye, everyone. Stay safe. Congratulations, Queen. Congratulations. 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 Welcome to America. <laughs>